Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, international football guru, Kevin Hatchard and former England international and FA Cup finalist, Dean Ashton, who's with us on the pod this week. Uh, coming up, England beat Italy in Italy for the first time in 60 plus years and Harry Kane takes the goal scoring crown. I look back at some of the other international stories as well, including some contrition from Ronaldo. Well, possibly. All change at Palace. Will it be all change at Spurs? It's definitely all change at Bayern Munich. And what is going on with the Manchester United takeover? Apparently, if everyone just puts $3 in the pot, we can all have a slice. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The road to Berlin starts here. And every step of the journey will be live on TalkSport. Bellingham's going to be able to bring it forward and far into one's goal and Donnarumma tips it over the bar. The left-footed in swinging delivery, force for Kane, it's blocked and then lashed in, England lead, Declan Rice was in there. Yeah, England playing like a team that are comfortable with each other, playing like almost a club side at the moment. Penalty to England. But is this going to be his moment? Been here before with the ball in his hand. For the chance to score international goal number 54. Harry Kane stands, addresses the ball, runs up, hits it right for it. Harry Kane, history maker and record breaker. Quite incredible, it really is. Wonderful achievement. Kane's got it again. Bellingham waiting for the pullback. Oh, a missed kick from Grealish. It should have been three. England still looking pretty comfortable. Italy bring it forward. Here's an opportunity, and there's one back. Second yellow card for sure. Referee puts his whistle to his mouth and England have won. And on the night in which Harry Kane broke the all-time goal-scoring record, England win away to Italy for the first time since 1961. England have just beaten Italy by two goals to one Harry Kane with what ended up being the winning goal from the penalty spot. We saw two sides of England tonight, didn't we, Dean? The uh, the high-pressing, forward-thinking England that played most of their football in the first half after a bit of an iffy start um, in Italy's half of the field. And then the backs to the wall hanging on, trying to get over the line to make sure that they got all three points in the second. Yeah, I thought... They were very good, actually, in the first half. Like you said, after getting over that initial poor start, but um, really controlled the game. I just thought they I thought they physically bullied. They looked so big and strong, I thought, right through the spine of the side and just felt like Italy's midfield couldn't really cope with ours. And Jude Bellingham was absolutely wonderful. 
um, first half. But as a little bit like the Euros final, Mancini seems to find a way to um, get the tactics right and make a change, and, and they were much better second half. And, and Gareth was a little bit slow, I thought, to making making the right changes and, and recognising some tired legs. I was waiting for someone to say that because it, it's almost like the same things get said every time England play. Gareth Southgate is slow to make changes and the team selection is all wrong. And then by halftime, everyone goes, actually, no, the team selection's okay. So it must be the substitutes that are the problem or are going to be the problem. Uh, but this time, you, you've got to say he he picked the right midfield because everybody was probably a little bit uh, eyebrows raised that Calvin Phillips being included from the start, Kevin. But actually, you know, that blend in midfield allowed Jude Bellingham to thrive further up the pitch. That's exactly it, Sam. You know, he played... Played all the way through, didn't look short of fitness in terms of his match sharpness. I thought he played well, broke forward, had that shot wide when he maybe could have played Harry Kane in, but was perfectly entitled <laughs> yeah. to go for goal. Kane was and really he... happy about that. I was thinking about <laughs> Dean Ashton during that moment because I know for a fact that Ashton would have been right on his case. It's not... I was shouting at the telly. I was shouting at the telly. Of course you were. <laughs> There's not a striker on earth that wouldn't have been. Uh, but I think you're right about the Bellingham point because he releases Jude. Jude is not a holding player in, in the purest sense of it. He is a box-to-box player. He has to have that license to drive forward. I thought he was excellent. He looks like he belongs. This is the thing about him. He looked very, very quickly at Dortmund like he belonged, and I think that's absolutely the case at international level as well. I thought the the midfield, when you bear in mind the quality and experience that Italy had in that midfield. You know, you've got Verratti, you've got Barella, you've got Jorginho. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of caps in there. I-, I thought they did bully them. I think Dean's absolutely right. Um, I'll tell you who else looks at home at international level and has done for a few years now, and that's Bakayu Saka. And you would have thrived on some of the crosses and balls that he put into the box. In the second half, there was one moment where he seemed to take on Spinazzola three times before putting the ball into the area. And nobody anticipated that he was going to be able to do that. In fact, Kane, I think, was standing on the edge of the box and there was nobody else sort of chasing to the edge of the six. Um, but also his work going back the way is underrated, isn't it, Dean? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think he's got that defensive intelligence, but the willingness to do it as well. Um, must be great to have a player like that in front of you if you're a fullback. You were right, as another time I was shouting at the telly. I think that's where... Greenish can really improve, a bit like Sterling did at Manchester City, just getting in, ghosting in at the back post. A couple of times, one in the first half, obviously that one in the second, I think is is somewhat a part of his game he can improve on. But yeah, Saka just seems to get, he does seem to get better and better um, almost every single game. I, I watch him more confident, more, uh, more dangerous, uh, more productive. Um, and... I mean, again, he, he did look a little bit tired, I thought. I mean, wasn't quite sure of the temperature out there, whether it was affecting the players, certainly the English players anyway. But um, that, that was tough going in the second half. And, and fair play to Italy, because I thought they were dreadful they were. in the first half. Absolutely. I, and, and, and I, yeah, they were. And, and they did improve a lot, actually, without clearly having the quality to, to really threaten England, even when they had lots of the ball. Um, clearly, uh, Luke Shaw learned a lot from his uh, last outing with Manchester United, where he witnessed three red cards in uh, 40 seconds and decided to pick up two yellows of his own in 54. That was quite remarkable, wasn't it, Kevin? Why on earth, after just getting booked, would you try to steal in front of someone to win a ball that you weren't going to reach? Not the best idea, was it, Sam? 
Not to be honest. Really. <laughs> I think, and I always think of him as quite a smart player, actually, but he'd obviously, the referee was quite hot on the time wasting, and then it was clumsy. And, and it's one thing I always love with players. He was going, it's unbelievable. It's a joke. Mutterings, he was going off. It was quite a clear <laughs> double yellow. But I thought England dealt with it really well. You know, didn't panic, kept their shape. Um, Trippier obviously came on. And they didn't really give Italy lots of clear chances after that. So never felt that England were really under siege at that stage. So it was good game management at the end. Yeah, uh, Sherdan Jovanovic was the uh, the referee. And I thought, actually, he, he he was under quite a lot of pressure throughout the entirety of the game, wasn't he? There was a particular point. I, I, explain this to me. When VAR gives a penalty, and it was a penalty, I think, against uh, Italy. I mean, uh, who was it? Was it was put his arm out. Di Lorenzo. Di Lorenzo at the back post. Had his arm out away from his body. Now, anyone who's watching any Champions League football... Uh, will tell you that um, if your arm is uh, detached from your body in any way, shape or form, unless you are literally tight right in, and even then sometimes, you will have a penalty against you if the ball hits your hand in the area. But once the, the VAR's given it, Dean, why on earth did all the Italy players run to the penalty spot and try and surround the referee again? I, I just couldn't really get that. Because it's ingrained in us as players, the bus, we've grown up with it something that needs to change in our game i think but it's ingrained in us right from when we're young but who's ingraining that in you dean uh, well no 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 so that that's you know when i grew up i watched when you watched so i was i grew up and was very much watching the uh the sort of sir alex ferguson era and i'm not just picking them out but i mean they used to surround the referee a lot And, and what i'm saying is that is uh, and coaches as well, yeah. You, would, I would say, managers would definitely say you need to be on to the ref because they would say the opposition would be definitely on the referee. So we have to make sure we are, so that we, it's, you know, we we get as much chance as them of of getting the um of getting the decisions. It's it's something that needs to change. But I, and I don't get it, Sam. I don't know why when the decision's made, it's not going to be overturned. But yet players feel the need to have to just have a rant at the at the referee. So, so when uh, I wonder whether or not they were trying to scuff up the spot or something, or try and put off the taker. And actually, England did very well. They left Harry Kane miles away. He just sort of walked out of the situation, and that somebody else went and got the ball and started to pick it up and sort of play around with it in order to take the pressure off him, which is probably important because it was a pressure penalty. The last time he took one for England, it went uh, over the bar, and, and and he knew that this was a chance to give them a two 0 advantage and become the record goal scorer of all time for England. So, I mean, there was a lot going through his mind. I, I, I suppose now I've asked the question, I'm thinking, well, that's what Italy were trying to do. They were trying to delay and cause as much doubt to be placed in the seed in the in the mind of the taker, right? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say so. That's, of course, you want to delay as, as much as possible that pressure for Harry Kane, which I thought his interview was great afterwards in that he says, you know, he... he he just practices. That's what he does. He practices and practices and practices. So then in the moments, he even though he, he'll have that in the back of his mind of the World Cup, he's able to deliver. It was so obvious where he was going to go, though. I don't know why Donnarumma <laughs> went that way. I just thought it's so obvious he's going to go the safety side foot, but he he won't care. And what that means to to him personally with the uh, with the record, I think is very special for him. Yeah, um, is he England's best ever striker? I mean, apart from you, Dean, obviously. <laughs> um, 
I th- well, statistically, he is in terms of in terms of goal scoring, and he he's a he is a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, I don't think you can say he is the absolute best. I think there are other players that are right there, but he's one of the he's definitely one of the top top five. And and how quickly when you look at the amount of games that uh, Sir Bobby Charlton and 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 uh, and Wayne Rooney, it took them to get it. You know, he's been much faster and much more efficient. What he is, is a brilliant ambassador for England, isn't he? He's a brilliant ambassador for being the England captain and being the the, the England number nine. He, 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 he was brilliant, actually. He's a bit of a diver, let's be honest about it. There was a bit towards the end of the game where he won a, won a free kick on the near touchline just by making sure he actually shouted, I think, for the ball to get a teammate out of the way so he could run in front of a defender who he knew was going to foul him or get in front of him so he could just flop his body on the floor. That's all part of it, though. That is at the top level. He, you, know, you need to have that sort of you know, game management in you, don't you? He's streetwise. He's experienced. Yeah, he's, streetwise. he's streetwise. He's consistent. He looks after himself. You look at his injury record. It's pretty strong. I think it's remarkable what he's done. If you look at it as a body of work, and I know people will always point at, you know, club level and say, well, what's he won? And they'll say, does he turn up (laughs) in the big games? But you look at the numbers, they're absolutely sensational. And he's not just a centre forward. He drops in, he links play. It's very creative. He takes the pressure off the defence sometimes as well. When you need an out ball, he'll provide you with one. You know, he took a ball out of the sky. You know, England weren't afraid to go long in that first half. And Pickford sent the ball high up into the air. It was in the middle of the Italy half. He brought it down, protected it really well, allowed the defence to get up and then built the attack from there. Yeah, there's there's, there's an art to how well he sort of takes pressure off off the defence and the use of his body, I think, goes under the radar in terms of the position of the defenders. When to stick the backside, he went to roll, when to um, sort of throw himself into a challenge that's almost not there to win free kicks. I wonder, Kev, do you, do you think every team in Europe would take him? Every team. I'm talking Real Madrid's everyone. I think a lot would. Uh, Barcelona have got a decent number nine at the moment, but I think, you know, Bayern are very keen. Bayern have been keen for a long time. Uh, and if that's a deal that they could remotely do, I, I think they'd be up for doing that. Um, Real Madrid have looked at him on numerous occasions. He is a world-class striker. There's no getting away from that. I wonder if he was a different nationality, whether there'd be more universal acceptance of how good he is. A lot of people in England do think he's amazing. Interesting. Do cherish yeah. him in the way that they should. But I do wonder whether that's as universal as it would be in other do, countries. Do you think but... that, that that nationality thing is is we don't think he's as good as um, he is because we see him as he's one of us. He's, he's English. He's, he's Harry Kane. He, he, he's not an exotic name and he is quite a sort of down-to-earth bloke. Or are you saying that other teams on the continent don't give him the credit he deserves because, again, he's not an exotic name. He is the bloke that plays for England. He is the bloke that that plays for Tottenham. No, I wonder if he gets more credit away from England than he gets in England. Mm, I I think if he went to Spain or Italy or Germany, they'd all think he was sensational. They'd look at the numbers. They'd look at the consistency. They'd look at the performances. And they would wonder... I wonder how he'd get on at Real Madrid or Bayern. I think generally from the coverage of him I've read, there's a lot of admiration for what he's done. And I wonder if because we look at what he's done with Tottenham 
and what he hasn't won, whether that somehow diminishes him in our coverage, not ours specifically, but just in the England in general. So I think he's a sensational player and he's led the country with distinction. Uh, he certainly has, and I'm delighted that he's got his, his his special goal that takes him as the outright top goal scorer in England's uh, history. Um, a first goal in Italy colours for a new recruit as well. Uh, one of the things that Gareth Southgate was big on prior to the start of the um, uh, the international round of fixtures was the fact that there wasn't enough English qualified players playing in the Premier League, and certainly not enough playing in positions where England had a dearth of talent, right? So cited left back as a particular issue. Um, Berto Mancini was basically saying the same thing. And something we mentioned on the White and Jordan show when Crook and I covered for them on Monday was this story about uh, Rattigi, who uh, has been playing on loan for Boca Juniors at Tigres in Argentina. He's basically Argentinian. He's never been to to Italy before this week, I don't think. And if he has, it was like a fleeting visit where he built a sandcastle. <laughs> it certainly isn't something that he does every every time there's an international break. But he was called up to Italy because he's got an English, uh, sorry, an Italian grandfather who, who once upon a time came from Sicily and then settled in Argentina because they've got such a dearth of forwards right now. So Jeremy and I, uh, the producer, were texting during the, the match and, and Jeremy was saying, ah, oh, get Willie on, get Willie Nonto on because he's a big Leeds fan. Why on earth are they playing uh, Retigi up front? He hasn't touched the ball. And I went, no, he hasn't even been to Italy before, you know, having a laugh and a joke. And then I went, oh, I think he's been there now because he scored a very good goal in his debut about three (laughs) seconds after I sent the message. (laughs) Saying he hadn't been there before. It was a brilliant finish. And it was was great, wasn't it? Yeah, t- uh, the, Tim. I was talking to Tim Vickery about him a few days ago on uh, Trans Europe Express, and he was saying that it's really interesting with Retigi because the goals have only come fairly recently. You know, he mm. hadn't been a regular. And he's scorer. not young, is he? No, he's t- twenty-three, I think. And yeah. you know, it's only only recently those goals have really flowed, but they have. And this is not a new thing with Italy. You know, this idea of Oriundi, as they as they call them, you know, guys coming Jorginho. in from Argentina, Jorginho, yeah. It's guys coming in from Brazil. Rafael Toloi uh, is Brazilian and, and he played for Italy uh, in this game. So this is not a new thing. And he certainly took his goal very, very well. So whether it'll lead to something in the long term, we'll see. But certainly didn't look out of place. Did you ever research uh, whether or not you had uh, a different... Uh route to international football before you got called up by England, Dean? Uh, yes, because my nan is Dutch. So I... Did you really? I, exactly, yes. I could have put on that iconic orange jersey. but Please tell I... me you got tapped up by Marco Van Basten once. Oh, I wish. My hero. I mean, he... Um, no, I think he was okay with Cliver, Burkamp, and Van Persie. So... <laughs> Lack of imagination. Um, what about Van Nistelrooy? He was there as well, wasn't he, around your yeah, time? Exactly, yeah. Difficult yeah, to yeah. squeeze into that group, Dean. I understand and, and, why you chose and, England and in actually, the end. Incred- incredibly, it, it was probably easier to get into the England squad than it would have been with than it would have been the Dutch squad. But yeah, that, I could have been Van Ashton. Van Ashton. That, have, that sounds great. Just even thinking about it sounds great. We should <laughs> dress you, you up as Steve McLaren and done the accent? Do you think you would have taken on the accent? 
probably probably <laughs> yeah 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 uh, this is uh, this is a revelation that i did not know <laughs> i am delighted we have un unearthed it and you may actually play for for the, the dutch vets or something now you never know Golly, yeah great point Senior, great point seniors world cup yeah you know? yeah yeah i'm sure now, they, they, now, they, might, they might need you when they listen to this they'll then realize and i'll get the phone call it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, because England have beaten Italy in this uh, game, it gives them a cracking chance now of uh, of qualifying. I mean, this was the hardest game. This was the most difficult trip. Um, and there's no doubt that having three points on the board after this particular journey gives them a major advantage. I think they're already favourites to win the group anyway, but they're super favourites now. They've got Ukraine at the weekend. Um, what What's your view on how they'll tackle that match because there was a couple of walking wounded towards the end and obviously Shaw won't be able to play. No, I think um yeah, I mean obviously you've got Chilwell there ready to ready to come straight straight into the side and I think it is a good opportunity. I don't think you should underestimate Ukraine. I think they've shown that they are a very, very decent, very, very decent side, but I think it should be a time to give Tony a, a start. Um, I think that's important. We see game time for Ivan Tony. If you're going to pick him in the squad, you've got to give these players an actual opportunity to start games and play significant minutes to really see whether they handle the pressure because that's that is what international football is. It's can you handle the pressure knowing that any little mistake... Or any, um, you know, any anything that's people don't don't like about you or the way you play. If you can't handle that pressure, you you just you will crumble if you play for England. And it's so important that, that these players get a start and some minutes. Slightly different schedule for Ukraine because they're only playing England in this international break, um, and that game taking place at Wembley live on Talksport five o'clock on Sunday afternoon um ukraine as far as you can tell us kevin at, at relative full strength yeah and you know there is that added element of that national pride and we've seen that from them before they're very good but they've got some excellent players there's no question about that uh ruslan rotan's taken over as the interim coach and they have quality we know all about uh, alexander zinchenko and the way that he has led that group with distinction, uh, with with real passion, but real quality as well. And, you know, there are lots of players in that squad with European experience who play for good clubs, who are technically gifted. So it's certainly not a gimme. It's certainly not a game where England can afford to relax in any way, shape or form. And I wouldn't expect them to. No, Malinovsky playing at a high level. You've got... Uh... Um, Mikolenko playing week in week out in the in the Premier League. They're a team that uh, obviously galvanised by trying to show how together they are because of the circumstances that they're facing in their own country. Um, England's other opponents in the group are North Macedonia and Malta. Malta probably would be described as the minnows of the group, and it's not being disrespectful. They're just not very. That um, they've never really achieved too much on the international stage. Uh, but North Macedonia certainly have, Kevin, haven't they? And it should be reminded to everybody that the reason that Italy did not go to the World Cup was because of North Macedonia. 100%. Uh, and they've also beaten Germany in Germany uh, in relatively recent times. So 
you know, they are a team that if you look at the Italy game, for example, they dug in really, really well and survived a few scares and then scored a brilliant goal from range at the end and won the game. And in the end, they lost to Portugal in the final. But if you've gone to Italy and got a result, if you've gone to Germany and got a result, then you will feel you're capable. When they got to the Euros, they didn't really do themselves justice, I didn't think, which is understandable given their lack of experience at that tournament level. But yeah, again, you know, there are lots of good sides in international football now. You know, we've got really good core and I would put them in that. When you think that as a nation, in terms of, you know, what they represent, you know, there's an extra bit of pride there as well. So... Yeah, dangerous. A couple of seasons ago, I was uh, I was I was working for the international broadcasters, and I was doing the Malta, Faroe Islands, and um, Andorra groups uh, in the Nations League. Right, it's like tiny little groups to Group D or whatever it was, where they all play each other. And of course, in those games, it's really important to them more than even the the qualifiers, right? Because they could actually win matches. And they are, they fight two of them now. They're horrible games. Like they kick each other to death because they're desperate. But the Faroe Islands in particular actually develops a really good way of playing and actually they're really interesting to watch. Um, Malta, a little bit more aggressive (laughs) than uh, the others. Andorra, a bit like that as well. Uh, But uh, it it was actually quite fascinating to cover Group D, D1 or whatever it was during that sort of international period because it was. Yeah, it was it was eye opening. Uh, talking of eye opening, uh, we'll talk about Roy Hodgson's return at Crystal Palace in the next few minutes, as well as Antonio Conte and whether or not he's still going to be the Spurs manager. Uh, he is at this moment in time, but he might not be by the time you start listening to it. Um, but then again, you never know. It's Spurs; they take a long time to do anything. Um, and uh, there is a change at Bayern Munich because uh, Nagelsmann is out. And Tuchel looks like he is coming in. But next, we'll take a look at some of the other international stories, including another record for Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? 
Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Roberto Martinez took charge of Portugal for the first time uh, this week. On the Thursday night, they beat Liechtenstein by four goals to nil. He scored twice, one of them a penalty, and during which uh, Ronaldo became the highest-capped international footballer of all time with 197 appearances. Prior to the game, he had a chat about his departure from Manchester United. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, do you think, Kev, that he was only called up to break this record? There was no real need to include him, was there? It's a chance for Martinez to start afresh? It looks like it's the total opposite, Sam, because it looks like Martinez actually met with him laid out his plans and said that he wants him involved all the way up to the Euros, which, of course, is only a year away. And it's interesting. I looked at the formation that they played and they went with three at the back, wing backs and two up front. And he went mm, with Joao which Felix, he was one. He went with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. So, you know, you're not building the entire thing around him. There is the potential, I guess, there's been a lot of talk about well, what happens with Gonzalo Ramos. Are you going to drop him? Well, actually, you don't have to if that is the way you're going to play. So I think Martinez has looked at it, has realized that not everyone is sold on his appointment, even though I think in general <laughs> he did pretty well with Belgium uh, because there's a lot of good Portuguese coaches who got overlooked for this. And I think he's thought, I don't need that aggravation straight away. And maybe there's an element where he thinks he can get the best out of him. Never know. Uh, interesting quotes from Ronaldo pre-match in which he was talking about Manchester United. Manchester United, he said, when we are at the top of the mountain, we often don't see what's below. I went through a bad phase of my career. I have no problems admitting that, but life moves on. I understood who our real friends in that difficult moment are. Um, was that him saying sorry there, uh, Dean? When we were at the top of the mountain, we often don't see what's below. I went through a bad phase of my career i have no problems of missing it what 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 do you think he was trying to say no i didn't i didn't take it as a as a sorry as such um i think i think i took it more as in i think clearly he was struggling probably mentally with things Mm. that were going on obviously in his private life as well as at man that that often gets overlooked a little bit that he had such a severe um problem in away from the game, didn't he? You know, a, a very sad scenario which played out. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you know, I think obviously because he's such a, a an incredible footballer has been that that um, you just think, well, he, he's... And, and you look at his physique and his lifestyle and you think, well, he's got to be mentally strong enough. But I think, I guess the, the talking about then kind of knowing who you're... who you can trust and, and who you can rely on um, I think that says a lot about maybe the people in and around him um, that that maybe weren't there from him in those in those difficult moments. But it's not a bad way to, as he always seems to do, which is is answer any critics and and come out and and score two goals, one a free kick, which he hasn't done for a for a long time, but pops up now and again again with him. I just think Martinez is is inherently. A, a nice a nice man he's he's a really nice man i think he's not got a ruthless bone in his body and like kev said i think it's very very easy just to bring ronaldo in keep him as part of of the squad you know he's still going to produce in a team 
like that in most games. I think in in but in the in the bet in the in the toughest games he's he's not. But that that to me is what Martinez is. Another side um, with a a different uh, captain this time is uh, Belgium. They've got uh, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, a new manager too, Domenico Tedesco. Um, interesting that the new captain is uh, the one that slammed his players at the World Cup for after their first game for saying no chance of us winning it we're too old i think our chance was four years ago we've got a good team but it's aging um is he the sort of player that the rest of the squad still look up to i I think he's straight talking there's no question about that (laughs) um that that's the big challenge for tedesco i think he's not only to modernize that squad I, i think the problem martinez had there isn't a huge amount of talent coming through. You've got Charlotte de Catalara, who is a very talented forward player, but he has he's sunk without trace at Milan in his first season there. He hasn't made the impact at the top end of the pitch. They were hoping that he would. Um, they've got Zeno de Bast, who's a, a decent player, who's come through, but there isn't a, a golden generation coming through. And they Tedesco, got really lucky with that group, didn't they? Yeah, and, and I think Tedesco has got a personal challenge here because if you look at his time as a club coach so far, started really, really well at Schalke. And I thought, right, he gets it. I thought Schalke are heading in the right direction and it all fell apart. He doesn't play great football. Same thing at Leipzig. Got there, won the cup, looked good, all fell apart. So he's got to show, A, he can play attractive football, which is what generally Martinez played as Belgian Mm. manager. I think that's fair to say but also that he can sustain success because so far as a coach, he hasn't proven that he can do that. Okay, uh, that's enough international football for the time being. Let's turn our attention now to some of the stories dominating the back pages in England, starting with Manchester United and who, if anyone, is actually going to buy the club. Okay, so Qatar's Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Radcliffe's Ineos group have been granted extension to submit second bids to buy Manchester United. The deadline was supposed to be Wednesday night. Uh, Both the top bidders had not improved their offers by the 9pm deadline, but they were also joined by another rather ambitious bid. The Finnish businessman, Thomas Ziliakis, has confirmed that he has submitted uh, a bid to buy Manchester United. Uh, if I've got the pronunciation wrong, you can tell me, uh, Kev, if you know. Is it Ziliakis? Yeah, right? sounded, sounded good to me, yeah. That's okay. what I would have gone uh, with. He is the founder and chairman of investment company Mobile Futureworks. Says he wants to buy Manchester United in a 50-50 partnership with their fans, who will then have a say in the decision-making process at the Premier League qu- club. Uh, Ziliakis uh, said on Twitter... I've put in a bid to buy Manchester United together with the fans who will have an equal say on all sporting matters. No more shakes and oligarchs controlling football. My group will finance half the sum needed to take over the club and will ask the fans through a new company that is being set up for this specific purpose to participate for the other half. Isn't this a little bit like Ebb's Fleet United um, where they can make, <laughs> they got people to vote on decisions and stuff yeah. like that, right? Is that right? That happened. I like the um, idea. But- the idea is great, but it's Manchester United, fella. And he also says if every fan joins in, it means less than three pounds per fan. Now, does he mean every fan in football or every <laughs> fan uh, who is allegedly a Manchester United supporter? Because the problem here is, is that Liverpool fans will clearly think that three pounds is nothing to have a say on who Manchester United <laughs> should sign yeah. next. Yeah. 
it does seem it does seem <laughs> bonkers, doesn't it? For him to come out and say yeah, say such a thing about a club like Manchester United, it it does it wouldn't sit yeah, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't sit well with me if I was a fan. But isn't uh, it Ziliakos. nice having somebody finally talk about fans, whether it's fanciful, whether it's ridiculous, and it probably is. But isn't it nice having somebody say, instead of, oh, ha- who bids highest? Is anybody yeah. thinking about fan representation, fan involvement? So even if this is the extreme version of that, which I think is probably highly unworkable, it is yeah. nice to have somebody who's saying, well, actually... Let's get fans well, fully. I, I remember Matthew Benham before her. Matthew Benham was Matthew Benham in terms of he, uh, he was the chairman of um, the club at Brentford. He was uh, on the board or was part of a. He wasn't on the board. That was the problem. He was fun, helping to fund the group called Bees United, which was the fan ownership group that ran the club. Now the problem with the fan ownership model is is that you've got a lot of people who are really invested in the club, and that's great and it's wonderful. Uh, but they, so a lot of them have different factions and they all want equal say. And, and ultimately, you then don't get the overarching sort of decision maker getting the job done. And one of the things Matthew Benham was sort of, you know, pulling his hair out about was I'm giving these people money to run this football club, in a sense. And ultimately, they're not doing it properly or they're not doing it in a timely fashion. So I need to take control of it, which is what he did eventually and ended up turning it into what it is now. And boy, hasn't that gone well for them? Um, but um, I mean, the, the plan here is, is that he says he's going to give them a say through an app from which they can participate and cast their vote when deciding on football matters relating to the club. Uh, it does very much sound like everyone's playing a big game of football manager. And uh, if we all go for the same decisions, we'll, we'll, we'll end up picking certain players. Interesting. It is. Look, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it was quite a dramatic night on Wednesday night because uh, it was, I think, 10 past nine when the uh, Qataris claimed to make a new improved debt-free world record bid on uh, Wednesday evening. And then the firm handling the sale of Manchester United reigned, so they didn't receive any bids from those two clubs, uh, two sides of um, the, the divide at 9.45. So then there was sort of a lot of speculation about who'd got their money in first and who had then put in their proposal in first. But I think the last minute delay sort of increased fears amongst Manchester United fans. The Glazers could end up keeping the club. And I remember I spoke about it on this podcast when the initial sort of discussion took place about them selling the club and the share price jumped 14%. And I said at the time, it won't surprise me if they hold on to it because they made money out of the just saying they were going to sell it. And they've also got themselves into a position where I think if you, if you, if you speak to the Glazers, there's, there's two of them that are desperate to hold on to it. One in particular is desperate to hold on to it. Another one that's quite happy to sort of go along with it if he wants to keep hold of it. And then there's the other lot who all want to get rid of it and move it on to somebody else. But look, five billion. It would take the, uh, the, the 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 record off Denver Broncos, who went for three point eight billion last year. But I think you know, with all due respect, Manchester United is worth more than the Denver Broncos, isn't it, Dean? I mean, it, I mean, it's a massive institution. You go around the world, who what's more recognisable, the Denver Broncos or Manchester United? I think it's pretty easy to work. Yeah, out. it's it's yeah, it's a global juggernaut, isn't it, Manchester United? And I can see why why these sorts of, of figures are being banded around. I just think it's. I see a lot about obviously Manchester United fans, and it's been a it's been a long time that they've wanted the Glaziers, you know, Glaziers out. I mean, they stormed the stadium once, before, you know, pre-game, and and 
there's been many de demonstrations but ultimately these are businessmen they are not what we remember from from years gone by of the guy that was a supporter and took the club on and wanted to put some of his own money into you know help build the club these are gigantic organizations and hedge funds and states and and the, this is these are purely business decisions you know they're not thinking about the supporters they it, it, it's business for that for, for them so it's probably still going to take a long time i would have thought till we really maybe know exactly what's what's going to happen do you think I the think blue chip right. company uh takes over uh the uh the running of Manchester United, they'll release an app to uh, let us decide as to who will be the next manager. I'm not entirely sure that will. Um, just a guess. Maybe we should have an app uh, for uh, for politics in this country as well. Like every time we can vote on decisions as we go along, um, or maybe even like you know, we could do it for everything. We could just walk around with little apps, just voting <laughs> on everything, couldn't we? What shirt should Dino wear tonight? Uh, shall it be uh, is his Dutch one for with Van Ashton on the back or? Should he go with his England one? We'll go from there. Uh, Premier League returns next week. Uh, we'll have one new manager in the dugout in South London. That's sure. Well, new old manager. I mean, you know, Roy Hutchinson's back in there. Uh, but will there be a new man in the dugout in North London as well? There'll certainly be a new man in the Bundesliga dugouts uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Roy Hodgson is back at Palace. He's broken his own record. Well, he will break his own record because he'll be the oldest manager in the Premier League. But it doesn't really matter how old he is. It's whether or not his style of football actually is going to impress the Palace fans. I mean, the Palace fans, let's be honest, they've got no wins in 2023. The next four games, Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, Everton. They ain't happy because it hasn't been going well. They're going to be even less happy from what I understand about Roy Hodgson coming in. I mean, they're up in arms when it was first announced. I mean, how will they be feeling by the time they get back and, and play their first Premier League game, Kev, do you think? I think they've probably got to be a little pragmatic about it and see it as a short-term deal. I think I have concerns about the overall strategy of the club because what it says to me is that they've panicked and they've gone back with what they know. They've gone for a move that is the least disruptive in the sense that Roy knows the club, he knows the players. They will know him a lot of in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases. And they're just looking at these remaining games, get enough points on the board, stay up, and then you bring somebody else in. The, the problem I have with them in general, and Palace aren't alone in this, but you get clubs who end up in this kind of vortex where you can never really move on. You're kind of permanently trapped because you can say all you like about we want to change the style. We want to be progressive. We want to move forward. We want to do this and that. But they're always going to have that shoulder where they're looking over it every so often going, we might get dragged in. And some will panic and some won't. And, and it's a very difficult position to be in because you've got to really see it through and stick with it. And it does they feel like they make the same decision every 18 months, doesn't it? You know, like, you know, they, they appoint a new manager who's progressive, young, got new ideas, sacked new manager when things don't go particularly well, bringing old school manager to take them back to basics, get bored with back to basics, so employ new young progressive manager, but then get panicky when new young progressive manager stalls and replace him with back to basics manager again. So we're going to be back here in a year's time where everybody go, oh, fucking hell, 
we've got to uh, we've got to find something more expansive because otherwise we're going to turn everybody off. I mean, ultimately, you need to have a little bit of a stronger backbone than that, don't you? And have a little bit more of a, a culture set about your club, Dean. I mean, this is not easy, right? Because you're Crystal Palace, so you're not you're not got the security of 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 a position in the Premier League every year. You're fighting for that, but you've also got to have you've got you've got to recruit better. You've got to hire better managers coaches and you've also got to recruit your players smarter. yeah I, I do i think recruitment's not been not been good enough but maybe if if you're not even quite sure what you're recruiting for you know when you go from an extreme mm. of a, a hodgson to then a vier and and you know they're not they're not alone there, there are other clubs i think in kev's right they're in not. that vortex Absolutely where that they, that you know that they've got that real pressure from the supporters to entertain and yeah, well, yeah Everton are really, you know man. you know fans that want to be they don't want to just watch a team sit back defend try and win one nil or draw but fans don't really want that but the the financial differences between the Premier League and and the EFL is just so vast I can see what I can see exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking this is our our opportunity. International break. We'll bring Roy back in. You know, you can pretty much hang your hat on three or four wins, or enough. You know, a few draws and a couple of wins, one nil wins, and they'll keep them in the division. And then, yeah, they are back to the back to the start again. It's it's it's, it's I, I, I know I know, but I think it sounds I think, thrilling. Can't wait. It's going to be think, brilliant. Bought me a ticket in the front row. But I think, it's a risk for him, right? It's a big risk for him because is it? he loves really? that club. Yeah, no, I think it is in terms of his reputation because Watford was a disaster. And yeah. you look at Palace, he loves that club. That's quite clear to me that, you know, he has a deep affection for Palace. I mean, does he really want to be a guy that took him down? So there's a fair bit riding emotionally on it for him, I think. Obviously, there's a financial element as well, but I imagine he doesn't need that. I don't want to speak for him, but I imagine he doesn't. So, you know, there's there's risk on both sides yeah. here. I think. What, if he does need the money, he's spent a lot in the last year, hasn't he? I mean, wow. That retirement fund went very quickly. <laughs> what cruise exactly. has he been going on? Of course, on? as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's top of the bowls league, which is, uh, you know, he doesn't want to lose that. Does he hold Roy? Yeah, he's still got a ladder. He's got a ladder match <laughs> next week. <laughs> um, uh, Ray Lewington will be there though in shorts, no matter what it is, whether it's a, a tra- training ground session down at uh, um, in, in Beckenham or whether or not it's a, you know a, a doubles bowls game somewhere. Um, Antonio Conte is not playing bowls. In fact, we're not sure what he's doing. He could be doing anything because he went on a Ryanair flight out of uh, London on Monday. Um, to get as far away from Spurs training ground as possible. There are players there, by the way, that have been uh, doing recovery stuff over the course of this week, but he's not training them. So, I mean, lots of discussion this week about the fact that he's going to be replaced by Ryan Mason until the end of the season. They're going to look for a new manager. We spoke about it on the previous podcast, what might happen there, and that's still available to sort of listen to. There's this sort of chats about Ruben Amarim and other potential very good young coaches from uh, across Europe, of course, another one that's come up over the last 24 hours is Julian Nagelsmann because he's now available, Kev. Yeah, and I mentioned him on the previous pod thinking that might, that might be an yes. option for the end of the season. And I'm really quite gobsmacked that it's an option for now. Um, this is a surprise in terms of the timing. 
They were very poor against Leverkusen in their last league game. I think it was always a slight problem for Nagelsmann that Tuchel was there in the background. Somebody who is seen as an elite German coach, is a Champions League winning German coach, is somebody who Bayern have looked at before. The irony here is that Thomas Tuchel was the guy who got Julian Nagelsmann into coaching in the first place. He was the one that when, when Nagelsmann had had his injury, he was working for the Augsburg second team. And he said to Nagelsmann, why don't you do some opposition scouting for me? That got him the coaching bug. He went to 1860 Munich and it snowballed from there. So it's quite ironic that he's taken his job, it seems, at Bayern. And I think it's completely the wrong move, personally. I think it may work in the short term, but I think we will never know how successful that rebuild under Nagelsmann could have been. He mm. won the league in his first year. I know that's part of the course. I know it went against him that they went out to Villarreal in the Champions League in his first year, but they've just wiped the floor with Paris over two legs. They're, so, so they're all... still in the Champions League, aren't they? I mean, they've got a yeah. massive game against uh, Manchester City, City upcoming. Yeah, he won all eight of his Champions League games this season. I think they would have won the league under him. Is there, is there, is there, um, again, is there not something then that's happened for it to be so sudden? Well, I think... I don't think they like his suits, <laughs> Dean, to be honest with you. He dresses very <laughs> snazzily. I think it's a an accumulation of things. And the well, they're atmosphere... in a title race, right? That, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I, I think there was disappointment with some of the, the nature of some of the performances. They didn't show much fight against Leverkusen. And Nagelsmann afterwards admitted that they, they, were the, they were second best. They were the poorer team. But it wasn't that long ago that Herbert Heiner, the chairman was talking about Nagelsmann as a brilliant modern young coach who'd done brilliantly against Paris and they were really looking forward to working with him in the long term. Whether Only this three defeats sporting... all season, right? Sorry? Only three defeats all season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which for Bayern. The thing about <laughs> Bayern that we always have to remember, every draw is a crisis, every defeat is an utter earth-shattering catastrophe. Like Bayern becomes the main piece of news in Germany, not just in sports news, in news. And everything is poured over, everything's examined. And I wonder whether the, the sporting director, Hassan Salahamidzic, who, you know, Hansi Flick walked away on his watch after those two clashed a fair bit, or whether, whether wonder whether there's an element of him covering himself. They've liked Tuchel for I, a while. Are you suggesting the sporting director is the issue? I think he has a mixed record, shall I say? Well, that's very sitting on the fence <laughs> of you there, Kev. That's about as yes. that's about as cutting as you <laughs> get, isn't it? Well, I'm doing the classica soon, so I've got to be a little bit careful. <laughs> and you're actually going as well. You're going yes. to be in the stadium, so you may I have to discuss things with people pre and post. Interesting. Um, we'll be in Munich for the uh, Manchester City game, so it'll be uh, good to uh, rekindle. Uh, acquaintances with uh, our good friend Tommy T who's going to go in there as the replacement for Nagelsmann be interesting to see what uh, Nagelsmann does next uh, um, maybe finishes GCSEs or something I mean, that might be a <laughs> good thing to do next um, he's, he's, he's very young it must be uh, quite daunting to get how old is he now is he 36 or anything like that is that right yeah he was 28 when he started he, when he got the Hoffenheim it's, job he was 28 he got, he was the youngest it's amazing isn't it history so, how, so, so, what do you do now? Like, you're not even forty, and you know, when well, I've I've won the Bundesliga, or I've I've been the youngest manager in Germany. I've done ten years at it. You know, I'll probably just go off skiing for a little while now. That's exactly what he's talked about. 
That's exactly what he's talked about. He's talked about um, in the past, he said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my career, the rest of my life. He said, I I'd maybe do it for 10, 15 years. And then I'd go off and do, he, he loves like um, speed. He loves like cars, speedboats, jet skis, you name it. So he likes doing like crazy mountain bike stuff. So he might go off and do all that. But he's talked about having an events company in the past, things like that. So I think he will go off and do something else like Village Boas oh. did. Uh, and we'll just <laughs> well, go and do something When you else say he's got an events company, could he could he sort of like put on the next soccer X or something? Or is he going to yeah, turn maybe. up and do Who knows? Do like I think it might be a birthday. bit more high octane than that, to be fair. I think he's thinking He's not just going to turn up and do like a <laughs> wedding or something. No, I don't, I don't think that's the plan. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Know. But Quite interesting. Do I want to see what first. the room was wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tottenham first. He'll probably Tottenham end up at Tottenham first. now. I mean, Daniel Levy's so lucky, isn't he? Like, there's a geezer now that is available who's got no compensation whatsoever, and he can just go, oh, I'll have that Nagelsmann fella. Uh, yeah, well, good luck to them if they get him, that's for sure, because he's actually a very good coach, and he's probably um, been treated uh, unfairly, I think, at Bayern Munich. We'll see. And we'll get the lay of the land when we get out there in a couple of weeks' time. Kev will too, because he's doing the Classica and the not-too-distant future. Uh, nice to see you late at night, uh, Dean, uh, Dino Van Ashton. It's been uh, wonderful to discover more about <laughs> you tonight. Exactly. Well, if you, if you, my fantasy name, you'll now know, my fantasy name has always got something Dutch in it. Oh, I am fantasy football, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> oh, very okay. good i know i know we're recording late into the evening but people probably be listening to this in the morning so we'll move on from there we'll be back on monday when we look back at england versus ukraine and all the rest of the uh, stories that have broken up over the course of the uh week and we'll look ahead to what's happening next week in the world of the premier league and beyond The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on talk sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.